0: The property buying process is made complex for many reasons, not the least of which being the asymmetry of information. And the property types where this is most prevalent are apartments, townhouses and villas. What are the barriers that prevent buyers from being fully informed about a property before they buy it? Who decides what information you can access before buying a strata property? And do governments adequately protect consumers in this area? Welcome to the elephant in the room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report, which experts can you trust to get it right theelephantintheroom.com.au Today, we're having a big discussion about inequity in the property buying process, specifically around multi-owned property. And we're talking with Dr. Nicole Johnson, who back in 2018 co-authored a report about the challenges property buyers face when trying to do due diligence prior to purchasing a strata property. And I use the word strata here, but it sort of encompasses anything that's got uh, multi-owned around it, right? The title of this report... Actually piqued my interest. The title is this Gatekeeping Information in the Multi Owned Property Environment. Stymieing, great word, stymieing buyers' <laughs> rights to discover and decide. Now, Nicole is a senior lecturer in the Department of Finance in Deakin Business uh, School and a socio legal researcher focusing on multiple aspects of multi owned properties at strata title, condominium apartments, including governance conflicts of interest and legal relationships. Now, we last spoke with Nicole back in episode 112 about her research into defects in apartment complexes, which was a great chat. So I'm very happy to welcome her back today. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nicole. Oh, thanks so
1: much again for having me, Veronica. I remember, I think it was just before the pandemic crisis that we um, got to catch up in Sydney and have a face-to-face chat and how things have changed. So thanks for having me again.
0: Yeah, you would have been one of the last ones we had face-to-face, that's for sure. (laughs) You know, back then we only ever interviewed in studio. We never did these. But it's part of the new world. Now, when we think we're buying an apartment, we think we're just buying the apartment, right? Car space and, I don't know, a storeroom or something. But it's actually a whole lot more than that that we're buying when we buy into these multi-owned complexes. So, Nicole, can you just quickly explain for us what are we actually buying into?
1: Yeah, and I think this is where people, um, and especially sort of, uh, I suppose, more rookie buyers that are buying into this type of um, property, um, don't really understand what they're actually um, investing into or buying into. So you're not only getting your lot, so your apartment, you know, your four walls and and you know maybe your balcony, you're also a shareholder effectively in the common property and so that's everything that sits outside of your lot that's the hallways that's the lift that might be the building itself depending on the jurisdiction or the state or territory that you're in or the gardens the grounds if you've got pools you may have um, you know extensive gardens for example as soon as you buy into this type of property you are also buying a share with all the other lot owners of all that other infrastructure and so It becomes a little bit more of a complex buying process really because you're not just buying that little um slice of your own you know heaven your own apartment you have responsibilities then as a um, co-owner in relation to all those other aspects and with that also to make it all function well um there's an owner's corporation or a body corporate that has to be created so this is sort of the vehicle if you like to assist um, in the operational sides of dealing with this um, extra type of property. So it it is a much more complicated property type than your, you know, standalone house that many of us are used to. So therefore there needs to be more consideration about what you're buying into and your role and your responsibility as a member of this particular governing entity, the body corporate or the owner's corporation.
0: So yeah, so that's, Massive, really. I remember having um, dinner with Amanda Farmer once a couple of years ago, and she just sort of dropped casually in conversation that the obligation of the owners corporation in uh, New South Wales um to towards the upkeep of the building and we were specifically talking about mascot towers which at that point after 12 years of uh, since completion had started falling into the ground and 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 where that obligation lie and that then opens up a whole massive can of worms about what you're buying into isn't it because then you just explain it's because there's more than just your little lot now this conversation i want to sort of go into as i said that that opaqueness if you like you know the, the the bit about buyers are blind in so many cases they're partly blind because of their own they just don't know what they don't know and they're also blind because institutionally or systemically um it's things aren't set up to actually remove those blinkers so First of all, can you sort of explain the concepts of buyer beware and vendor disclosure? Because um, one another hat that I wear is the Home Buyer Academy. You know, we've put together a whole course to help first home buyers understand what they have to do. And when we look at different legislation across different jurisdictions in this country, it is quite shocking the differences in terms of what needs to be disclosed and also, you know, what caveat emptor or buyer beware means and how the buyer needs to understand that before they enter into any any agreement to buy a property?
1: Yeah, so traditionally when we're talking about property law and we're buying into property, the sort of foundation of law, property law in particular, when you're purchasing was caveat emptor. It's a Latin term, it's quite um, an extensive um, phrasing actually, but it just does effectively mean buyer beware. So it means that The buyer, and this is the premise of um, this doctrine, is that that the buyer is best placed to make a determination that the product, being the property, is most suitable for their own needs, that they can go in, they can look around and they can make a determination whether it's suitable for their needs. It may not be suitable for the next person's needs, but it's about them making those decisions. They can look around and they can make a determination whether that's right for them. And then they can negotiate with the seller on that basis. They can say, well, you know, more work needs to be done, or there's issues here, and they can negotiate the price on that basis. So that's really the foundation, you know, of this sort of the doctrine that You know, um, buyers, traditionally, when they come into a property, they make a determination. It's like if you go and buy any type of product, you know, you work out, um, you know, what the warranties may be on a particular product, a toaster or a kettle. You have a look to see if it's going to be suitable for your needs, for your family and so forth. And then you make a decision um, looking at that product, usually whether you want to buy it or not. But things have changed. Property is much more complex and there's much more to it. And especially when we're talking about strata, so we're talking about apartments, because there's a real distinction that needs to be made between pre-existing properties and properties that are proposed, so off-the-plan sales. So, of course, when you've got an existing property, yes, you can go in there and you can look around and you can see if it meets your needs. Does Is there enough room for your families and, you know, is there enough amenity for what you want? Is the, is the quality when you look around um, suitable for your needs? So there is an ability to do that to some extent. Um, when you're looking at a proposed or an off-the-plan property, it's very different. There's no product to look at. So you are really highly reliant on what is being marketed to you from the developer, what they are proposing to give you. Um, and so that makes everything much, much more complicated and there's been a lot of um, attention drawn to off-the-plan sales over the last couple of years because of the defects issue. But if we step back a little bit and we look again about strata, you know, it's even if it's an existing property, There's more to it than just looking at the around the apartment, because as I said in the um, beginning, you've also got to think about the common, common infrastructure there, the common property that you're a proportionate shareholder in. And so you need to know, well, does that look okay? Are there any cracks? Are there any defects? Are there maintenance issues in relation to the common property? Because I have a responsibility as a new owner to be across that, because if something goes wrong, I need to fix it. And the third part of this is, of course, you become a member of the Owners Corporation or Body Corporate. So that is an entity. It's a governance entity that's functioning and you have responsibilities as a member. So you need to know how that entity is actually working. Is it working well? Is it financially doing well? Um, Is maintenance and defects being dealt with by the committee and by the Owners Corporation that is in existence? That is information that you fundamentally need to know. And you can't get that by... just looking around a building you have to investigate it you have to get into the nitty-gritty to find out how that's working because it can have a major impact upon how then you live in that building and, and what your financial implications might be moving forward so you know the the days of just you know relying on this caveat emptor that it's up to the purchaser to go through and make a decision about whether it's fit for their purpose, is really difficult in an environment where you have apartments. It just doesn't work like that because of the complexity of it. And so, the government and through and most governments in in this country have put an onus back on the seller to say, well, you need to disclose certain information to the buyer about that property. So we're putting it back on you to say well, are there any issues around defects and maintenance in the building? And if there is, you need to actually disclose that to to a, a potential purchaser. Um, and of course, when it comes to the owner's corporation and body corporate, there are also legislative requirements placed on the seller to disclose information about the owner's corporation and how it works through a disclosure process. And that is very variable across all the different states and territories within Australia. So you have to be really careful that if you're buying in one state and then you move somewhere else, the way things work can be very, very different. And the type of information that's being disclosed is very different. And so care needs to be taken. Um, that you're not just blindly buying into these sorts of um, developments. They're very different from a house. Very different situation. And so you need to be a much more savvy buyer when it comes to buying into anything that has this private entity entity that is connected to the property.
0: It's so fascinating because, like, for instance, in Queensland, you have very little disclosure that required from a house owner. And a fair amount from a, an apartment owner right in new south wales you have quite a lot of disclosure required from a house owner but not much from an apartment owner and in victoria you sort of got a bit a bit more of both right and and you know we've got what seven different jurisdictions in this country so it's different everywhere um What I find interesting, particularly because I'm in Sydney, and, of course, when we're buying strata properties, everyone says, oh, you go and get a strata report. And sometimes they're provided by the owner and sometimes they're not, and um, they vary in degree of what they contain and the the usefulness of them. Um, And in... Victoria, for instance, the there's a Section 32, so it's a vendor's disclosure, uh, disclosure statement. Of course, part of that, if, you, if it's strata title or... Yes. You know, in those states where the vendor has to make a disclosure, um, is the legislation prescriptive enough?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my position of this is absolutely not. There, there's insufficient information, as you rightly pointed out. Every state's very different. Um, In Queensland, for example, for existing properties, the information that's provided within the contract in relation to the body corporate is rather limited. You might get, (coughs) excuse me, the amount of levies, you'll get some information about, you know, the number of lots and that sort of thing. It's very, very rudimentary sort of information. When you go to look at off the plan sales in Queensland, you will be given a disclosure document that's literally this thick. Um, lots of information's
0: contained in there and so 20 centimetres or so thick <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah ex- exactly it's you know it's a it's a voluminous um disclosure regime and so i mean one part of the conversation is you know is disclosure you know an effective mechanism <laughs> to provide information to to people or not but that's probably for another for another conversation um, in, in a state like Victoria, um, you're right, so there's the Section 32 statement and within that there is a um, Owners' Corporation certificate. When we did the research, we started to review very carefully what the legislative requirement was in relation to that particular certificate and whether that's really sufficient for a, a purchaser to make an informed decision or a potential purchaser to make an informed decision. And what we found is, although when you look across the states, the Victorian Owners Corporation certificate probably provides you the m- most of the points. In terms of information so there's lots of things that are being covered it's the depth of information or the level of detail that I think is really lacking and it's quite discretionary the amount of information that 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 needs to be put in there so you'll get variation across the different certificates in terms of the the detail and sometimes as we know the devil is in the detail you need to you need to get in to find out exactly what's going on so it may be that you might stipulate because it's required to say that there might be litigation that's on foot in relation to a particular um, owner's corporation but we don't, we may not know the subject matter or or what is actually, you know, to to be provided more detail about what that litigation actually entails. Is it about defects? Is it about, you know, just a dispute internally? Um, So although it's giving you a very, um, you know, shallow really overview of what's going on within the owners' corporation, there is often lacking a lot of detail. And sometimes the information is just not up to date. And so it's, of course, you know, it's a pointed time. These these certificates are generated at a particular point in time. Things might change the next day. You know, the following week, there might be an AGM or a committee meeting where information or, or decisions that are made that you know, really impact what's on those certificates, and then of course the decision that a purchaser will make, um, depending on that information. So my position is that Victoria has done quite a good job in ter- when you compare across the jurisdictions in terms of the information that's provided to an existing, um, in relation to an existing lot. They do they're rubbish in terms of off the plan sales. You are getting nothing in Victoria. Um, but looking at existing, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good in terms of highlighting the most information compared, but the detail is lacking. And so the issue that we raise in the paper is, well, you need to take then a further step. You need to verify whether the information is accurate in those statements because they're normally being produced by a manager who just, you know, shoots them out at a particular point in time. And you need to also go and discover for yourself what other information is going to be relevant to you as a purchaser so that you can make an informed informed choice, because all that information is not captured. And the relevant information that you may need may not be captured on that certificate. So you have to be very, very careful um, when, when you're looking into purchasing one of these types of properties.
0: So that sort of leads into the legislated right to inspect the documents. And, you know, I know in in New South Wales, you know, there's a right to inspect. And I have to say, there's one thing I I found after reading your report that I was like, oh, I didn't know that because I just assumed as a buyer you have a right to inspect and you do, but only after you've purchased. <laughs> and I thought that was a bit ridiculous. Um, so yeah. I now know yeah. that we. <laughs> We need to actually get written uh, permission from the owner um, or the agent of the owner in order to be able to inspect, but I hadn't actually realised why that was the case, and that's because technically we don't have a right.
1: It is a huge concern, and this is where it becomes a little bit sticky because it's the wording of the legislation. So in most, most states, they will say that a purchaser is one of the categories of interested parties that can inspect the records. Um, there's other, in, like, in a state like South Australia, and it's been a while since I've had a look, so hopefully they haven't amended their legislation, a proposed purchaser can also inspect um, a, rec- a record in, in South Australia. So, Which I'm like, yeah, that's fantastic because, People need to know what's going on before they sign a contract. So, you need to do one of two things. You need to make sure that you either put a clause or have a clause put in your contract to make it part of the conditions that you get an inspection undertaken and that it's satisfactory, um, which a lot of people don't do. I've, I've very rarely seen that actually happen. Or they need to rely on the seller um, or a representative from the seller to be able to allow you to go and do an inspection of, of the records before you sign on the dotted line. Now, I've rarely seen that happen um, either. So I think, you know, purchases are really at a disadvantage because if you are thinking um, of purchasing and you rock up to the body corporate manager or the owner's corporation manager... Um, who obviously are the custodians of the records that you're actually usually... the most schemes, very small schemes, it would be done in-house, ha- you know, the existing owners and those sorts of things. But oftentimes they will say, we won't let you inspect unless we have a copy of the contract. Now, in most states, there's no requirement in the legislation that that type of evidence needs to be shown before that inspection actually happens. It's something that they have just created... Um, for themselves, um, and they push back on it, they will push back and say, "We're not allowing you to inspect the records um, unless there is that contract in place, which for some contracts it's too late it doesn't matter what what you see in the records you're bound to the contract, and so you could see a whole raft of stuff that you weren't aware of that may really change your mind in terms of proceeding, but you might be locked into a contract if you haven't provided safeguards in your contract to get out of it and so you know, I would really implore the governments to think carefully about this to get make sure that anyone who is considering purchasing um, prior to signing a contract have a right to, to inspect the records so that they can be informed about their choice and that's really important. Um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All I can do is put a shout-out to say that that's happening because, you know, it's just it doesn't make any sense that once you become a purchaser you know, that you're starting to then discover what, you're, what, what, you're, what, the, what the product purchase is all about.
0: Oh, and it's quite outrageous. You know, it's funny because um, reading your report, what I, what I gathered from that was in Victoria in particular, because there's this con- um, compulsory disclosure of the owner's cor- corporation certificate, then buyers uh, have the potential to assume that contains all the information that they need. And so, therefore, there's such a small percentage that would actually then go and request to inspect those records, whereas in New South Wales, there's no compulsory disclosure. So, buyers assume that they need to get a strata report, but then they still don't know what a good one is versus a bad one, as I mentioned earlier. But... um, so it's like it's still a tick box exercise in many cases. Like, yeah, I did that, um, but did you read it? Did you understand it? Did you know what was missing from yeah, it? Did yeah. you, you know all those questions that I think? Yeah. So the other side of that then is I also know that there's a resistance with strata managers in New South Wales or in Sydney anyway. Typically, if I have then questions, after I read a strata report, I have further questions and I pick up the phone and say, look, we're got this strata report i've read the strata report i have a few other questions i'd like to get some further information on oh no i'm sorry i can't talk to you um and i'm like okay and so sometimes they will talk to me sometimes i can badger them a bit and they'll go off the record but more often than not they'll say no i can't talk to you because you're not a member of the owner's corporation or the body corporate and i'm like but I want to become one, and I don't want to go in blind. You know, it's like it's all taking responsibility. So I'm curious what you found um, in terms of the strata managers or owners corporation managers, why they don't want to share the information. Like, what are they scared of?
1: And I think that's the that that's the sort of crux, isn't it? That's the actual question. Um, it, It can be, I think, a number of things. I think it can be that they're Um, well, their record-keeping might be pretty poor and they're nervous about what people are going to have a look at. Um, They constantly talk about privacy issues, um, which is just, it's such a misnomer. It's just so ridiculous to rely on that. I don't know if at the end of the day they just don't want to have people coming in, um, even though most records are now electronically held and and there's lots of systems in place in which people would just have a login and have a look at all the information. Um, And so I don't know whether it's, you know, that sort of coming in, having someone sort of, their offices going through the records touching the records whether they've got issues with that i know that there are some people that think well you know if any sort of one that comes in you know they might get a um you know a copy of the owner's role and then start soliciting them to move to different body corporate management companies or owners corporation management companies and all that sort of stuff um so these are some of the things that were highlighted to us um yeah but i think it's also i think you know what it, it comes down to just a traditional way that they've always done this in, strata, in in strata management they've been really a real pushback on having people come in and have a look at the records and i i think it has to change you have to be much more open first and foremost it's not your records it's not the management company's records or the manager's records they don't own the records they're just simply a custodian um, as a necessary type of mechanism. Because someone needs to hold all those records because they can be quite you know lengthy and weighty. They are the owners' collective records, and for a seller who wants to sell their you know wants to sell their apartment, I would want the purchaser to be able to have a look at these records so that they can make an informed jo- choice. Um, so you know, it, it's it's really it's sort of you know beggar's belief really that that you know they are so reluctant. Um, to open the books and different states are a little bit different as you pointed out veronica new south wales and certainly queensland have had a really long history of having independent inspectors come in and write an actual report um usually that they are engaged by a conveyancer or a property lawyer on behalf of their clients to go in and do an inspection and they do a much more deep dive so they might look at you know a a sort of a six-year or a two-year um, um, overview of the records and give a bit of an idea about the, you know, the financial health, the harmony within the, in, within the owners' corporation or body corporate, whether there are defects, any defect reports. They look at the contracts to look at terms and those sorts of things. So they would certainly do a, 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 a bit more of a deep dive. The issue as you rightly pointed out is, well, what do you do with that information? Because unless you understand what actually goes on and some of the danger points around buying into this, you don't. sometimes that information doesn't translate very easily. And so you might get um, a report or you might get any other type of disclosure that will tell you how much money is in the sinking or the capital funds um, uh, account, for example. But so what, um, unless you know what the costs of running that building are about, um, whether that the maintenance has been kept up, if you've looked at the actual plan, and to see that whether the the amount of money that's in the account um, is in line with that particular forecast, um, whether you know what the what's been um, expended in the last you know several years in relation to that sinking fund or capital works program and those sorts of things, the amount of money, the dollar amount means nothing, and it's the same with levies. You know, people always say to me, "Oh my God, the levies are so high." And I go, but you've got so. But to what, what, to what end are you saying that? You don't know how the building or the scheme is actually running, <laughs> um, what's the infrastructure? What are all the associated costs um, in relation to that particular building? And so, unless you. Um, really understand how these particular schemes work and work well, that information um, can be a bit, you know, well, throw away really because um, t- unless you're able to be able to dissect the information um, to know what actually what it actually means in reality, um, it, it's, it, it may not actually even help um, a particular, a particular um, uh, potential purchaser. And so then the role of the conveyancer or the role of the property lawyer that you've engaged becomes quite critical because they need to know their stuff. They need to know the ins and outs of how strata works. And what I found from another project is a lot of conveyances, especially in the state of Victoria, aren't really across the issues relating to strata. And then they're not aware when they're even looking at that section, um, you know, the owners corporation certificate where the danger points are for them to go and investigate further. And in Victoria, no one does those inspection reports, really. I mean, there's been a few um, that have been done, but really it's just not common practice for people to go in and inspect the records. It's sort of something that's just like, really, why would you do that? You've got the owner's corporation certificate. Um, and that's, that's a concern.
0: So that, that's a that's a danger in having mandatory disclosure. It's like if it doesn't go far enough, then it gives people a false sense of security. Um, it, it's interesting you talk about the strata levies because I remember, uh, you know, a number of buildings that I've looked at where the levies have been quite low and I know a lot of buyers would look at that as a good thing and I'm like, hang on a minute, why? And, and one in particular was a classic because every time they wanted to do, it was basically run like a cartel, every time they wanted to do something, <laughs> they, they slapped, the the um everybody with a special levy, and the reason they kept the uh, the levies low was because they all de- decided they prefer to have the money sitting in their offset accounts rather than in in, it, in the stratas uh, in the owners corporation bank account, and it's like well that's all well and good except that what if. Uh, you've got other people in the building you, A, don't necessarily agree with, you know, suddenly solar heating the pool, but you've got this cartel or deciding that's it, we're going to all vote for it, we're going to lobby, yeah, we're yeah. get it through and then slap everyone with a special levy. And I just think that that's, that's you know, it, it, and I warned my client off buying in that building, but I know that one of the things they'd said to me beforehand was I love the fact the levies are so low.
1: <laughs> Bad marker. It's not the marker that you look at because you've got to delve in to see what makes up the levy, you know, what are the costs of running it and is it being run well? Um, and that's, you know, and, and the, the thing, you know, with disclo- disclosure I think can be a really useful tool if you've really got good legal representation that can digest the information and then um, inform you properly. I mean, I spoke to a number of conveyances, good conveyances that have been around and they said, oh, you know, we'll we'll go through the bylaws and tell them what they can and can't do and that sort of thing. And it's like, well, that's great. So you're just really taking some information and then, you know, filtering it through in another way to your client and that, that might be helpful. But unless you go and do a dive into the records to find out what's going on, you know, and, and know the danger points. Know that you need to look at you know um, reports around building defects. Is there a de- defect report? You know, often just looking through the records and you go, okay, well, this is the stuff that's here. So I'll just explain what's here. But you have to, you have to have the experience to be able to say, well, what is not here. You know, has there been a building defect report done? Mm, Why not? What's the age of the building? Let's have a look into that, why that may not be happening. Danger, danger, danger. And so you have to be very careful about who you're choosing to represent you in in these transactions.
0: 100%. Particularly with cut price conveyance, some conveyances are amazing. You know, they, they live and breathe property, they're very, very experienced. One that we use quite regularly has got over 30 years experience and it wealth of information. But the cut price conveyances, A, they don't I mean their fees don't uncover, don't cover this <laughs> fundamentally, right. that you're not going to get that guidance. What are there standards for record-keeping that um, strata managers, using that term to cover everybody in that role, um, you know, are there standards that they have to uphold?
1: There are in some jurisdictions, you know, there's sort of, you know, accounting standards, um, you know, that they must um, abide by and, and that sort of thing. But it's like anything, you know, you can have regulation um, and sometimes regulation is just a good guide. But oftentimes I don't think I've ever seen, um, and maybe someone out there will correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never seen anyone take action in any tribunal or adjudication office in relation to poor record-keeping or, you um, issues around that i mean a lot of especially bigger schemes you know um there's a there's an audit, independent auditing process in terms of financial records, um, but not so much in all other type of record keeping. There are now much better technology that really assists management managers in um, pulling that information together in a central repository, so that it's sorted better and it's managed in a in a much better way, so people can access it. But not everyone uses that, and there's different you know different sorts of um, you know I've seen some really atrocious ones where. I've gone and I'm going oh I can't I can't even work this <laughs> you know how is anyone going to find this information it was, it's really tricky and you know oftentimes I'll give you a limited period of time to ins- to look at these records you know they might give you you know half an hour or, 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 or an hour and, and if you've got a very large scheme that's been around for a long time you might need to spend quite some time digging in because you might find something and then you need to try and trace what the issues are and how it's been resolved before you make those sorts of decisions. So, you know, um, it's very much, you know, I I hope for the day where governments will open the gates, and this is what this paper is about, gatekeeping, really open the gates and be much allow for much more transparency um, in this environment, uh, Veronica, because I think, you know, what are we so afraid of in terms of the information that's contained in an owner's corporation or body corporate? There's nothing. You know, we have companies, you know, if you want to have a look at a company, we can go and get lots of um, extracts, we can pay for extracts, get lots of information, historical information about companies, we get prospectuses about what you know the vision for the company is and how they work we know the company directors we know all that information why are we so different when it comes to strata um, and the impact on people is so so huge if if you if you make a decision to purchase and it's in a building that's got huge problems it can from a financial perspective it can actually ruin people and so i just don't understand why we aren't opening the gates and new south wales is taking some steps so um, as you might be aware there's a um, what's called the strata schemes management amended amendment information regulation um, that's on foot um, that I think it's in consultation at the moment, but it looks like um, early next year that this will be put into place where there will be a strata hub where information must be provided by an owner's corporation to this hub. It's going to be regulated by sort of fair trading. Um, And I think that's a great step. I think it's a great step, except the information that's going to be provided widely is limited. So you'll get information about maybe when the date of the AGM is, how many lots are in the scheme, the name of the scheme, that sort of thing. But the the real, you know, gritty information, which still must be provided to that hub, um, is not going to be open to the general public. So you're still at a disadvantage. You might be able to find a little bit of information about the building, but it's not going to be information that's going to turn on a decision, um, as far as, in my opinion. It has to go further than that. It has to be a centralised repository where lots of information is stored so that people are, can easily access the information, and it's going to be, a, it'll be the same type of format so it will be easy for people to search because they'll get really used to it, and I just don't understand why we're not taking those steps.
0: It is interesting I mean and I guess you look at the uh, the way in which the flammable cladding um you know register has been operating you know and 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 the decision yeah. was made well we will not make that that information freely available and I understand from the existing owners point of view they don't want it freely available because they want to basically yeah. you know under behind closed doors have, have the ability to rectify or do whatever they do before that's um, made available. But, you know, from a purchaser's point of view, you're then walking in, like, you know, I think you've mentioned it in your report, not specifically about that, but just buying blind, you know, that there are so many aspects to strata where you're buying blind, and that's one of them. I think, too, in that whole defect thing, which, um, you know, that that I know, when Mascot Tower's started sinking. i went oh god we we need to actually extend our definition of a new building like or a recently built building it it sort of needs to go out 20 years you know rather than 10 even and and then what do you do then how do you research that how do you find out who was the developer who was the builder where there was any litigation you know what was done you know did was there a claim were there claims made um what what defects were addressed, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing. And you scratch, and, yeah, you scratch yeah. and you scratch and you scratch and you get nothing. And so people would have bought, even if they really knew what they were looking for and uh, and went on a sort of an information hunt, people could have easily bought into Mascot Towers, I'm, I'm assuming, a year earlier.
1: And I think that that is the hard thing. It's, it's, it's a risk. You know, whenever you are... Buying something up in the air where you're getting stacked buildings, um, and there's lots of infrastructure, and in the and it's a you know it's a big concrete beast. <laughs> um, to to make it really clear, you know there are dangers there because you know you have to be you have to think of it differently in terms of property ownership, and you've got this volunteer group of people. Um, sometimes you get um, committees that are absolutely brilliant. I've spoken to committees that are just worth their weight in gold. They're brilliant at dealing with these sorts of things. They get informed. They take really good action. Um, you know, they, they're dealing with with the, the issues that arise in their building. But more often than not, you'll get a committee that's very dysfunctional. You'll get maybe one person that might go on it. It's, you know, very, very difficult. But these people, you know, all these decisions are laying at their feet. And it's there's some really complex decisions to be made in terms of defect issues and ongoing maintenance and repair in a building even though there's a statutory duty in every state to make sure that they repair and maintain their buildings you know sometimes this can be really complicated and they need assistance they need that financial backing as well to make sure that they can do this sort of work and so many owners you know are very resistant to putting more money in the pot to deal with those sorts of repairs especially as the building ages and so You know, When you're buying into these sorts of properties, you've got to think you are going to have to put money in for the long-term upkeep. It's not like a house. If you want to live in a house and you want it to fall around you, that's really up to you. If you don't want to maintain it, that's really up to you. Um, If you don't want to insure it, that's really up to you. That is not the world of strata. You must have buildings insured, so there's cost to that, and you must There's a legal requirement to repair and maintain, and so it comes at a cost. So the ongoing responsibility is much higher than it is in a standalone house that's not, um, you know, created under this type of vehicle. And so people just need to be aware of that, you know, getting in just, you know, by the shoestring and, you know, just having enough money just to either put down the deposit or just get in there um, and pay your mortgage. It, 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 that sort of thing is fraught with danger because your costs, especially if it's a new building, will go up. And if it's a building with issues, the costs will go up. Um, and so people need to be prepared for that because it's a different type of beast. It's, as we said right from the beginning, it's not just the little lot. You are a part owner in this bigger structure. And that bigger structure costs a lot of money to run.
0: Yeah, which comes back to the, the topic of inspecting records and history because you need to a- access to that history so that you can get a good sense of A, how it's being run and B, potentially what the risks are in the future. Your your report highlights a troubling gap and that is the most, you know, if in jurisdictions where a vendor has to disclose, right, most owners they would have a faintest. They wouldn't know enough about what they're disclosing to actually know whether it's complete or not uh, or accurate. Um, And most strata management agreements, as you point out, indemnify agents against providing incorrect information. (laughs) When you think, hang on a minute, biggest belief, what are you meant to be doing? (laughs) One of your roles is custodian of this information. How can you be indemnified against actually providing incorrect information? Where does the buyer stand with that?
1: Yeah, well, then they have to sue, you know, if if there's information that's provided that's false, they have to sell the seller, sue the seller. It's the seller's responsibility to provide that information and if they use a third party to do that um, through a manager, well, unfortunately it's on them to verify the information is correct as well. So there are danger points there for sellers, absolutely. And so it's really, you know, and because I think the starting point is that the seller, whether, whether they uh, are just interested in living in their lot or being part of the body corporate, it doesn't matter in terms of how the law has structured this. The obligation is that you need to know what's going on. You have responsibilities um, even if you're not on a committee, if you are just a member of the owners corporation by virtue of the fact that you are an owner in that particular scheme, the whole point of it is that you need to be aware of going on. You get copies of, you know, there's requirements in the law that you get copies of the agenda of the AGM, you get minutes from every meeting that's held. So you should be aware of what's going on in the building, and therefore you should, when when something's been disclosed to a potential purchaser, you should be able to verify that that information is correct people would have no idea, I think, about their legal duties in relation to that and also in relation to the information that's being provided because often I think it happens outside of any knowledge of the seller. You know, they'll go to their conveyancer, they'll put some information together, they'll go to the manager, they'll shove it in the statement and off it goes and they probably don't, they're none the wiser. Um, and so, you know, both parties just need to be much more careful in this space, Veronica, in terms of... Um, the information that's been disclosed and the discovery of that information to verify the facts and also to find out more information to inform their decision.
0: Now, one thing that I hear anecdotally, sort of often enough to make me think it might be true, is that in certain um, owners' corporations, they agree to not uh, document uh, certain issues around the building. You know, they're all mindful of the value of their asset. They're mindful if they go to sell at some point of time that, that having too much transparency around this may impact on their sale price and the value of their property. And so they sort of collude to, you know, Mm -hmm. gloss over certain things and be very careful in terms of what's minuted in these meetings. And obviously if they're email correspondence, if they're sort of they continue that that, uh, approach there, yeah... (laughs) What can be done about that? Because, you know, that's specifically in relation to defects and building problems and they're the biggies when it comes to buying into a complex.
1: Yeah, well, I I think those sorts of things are really fraught with danger if you are... Not minuting decisions that are being made. I mean, you know, this this is a governance entity. This you are there to govern um, a particular a particular scheme, and therefore, you know how how meetings should be run, um, especially when there's financial implications, so you're taking money from the collective pot um, and applying it to something, whether that's legal legal issues or, or, or whatever it is, um, you know, the thing is that you have to be very clear and frank. I mean, that, that's an obligation on you as a governing entity to make sure that when you're making a decision that that is correctly minuted. I think there's a bit of a danger with some minutes where people just go on and type every single discussion point, which is not necessary. People can discuss things freely and openly without everything being recorded. I mean... Uh, the minutes are about the decisions that are being made. You record the decision that is being made, that the body corporate is going to action something or do something and what the vote is. That's what minutes are really about. Discussions can be happened freely and they don't have to be recorded all the time. But when you're actually making a decision, they must be recorded and they must be recorded so that anyone that's re- reading them has a very good idea about what the decision um, means and what the implication for that decision really is, and yes, I know that there are people that are nervous about it. But my position, my thoughts around this is, you know, we're going, People are becoming actually more savvy and in Strata, people are buying in and out they're understanding this more they're being exposed more they're being they're becoming much more savvy and that will continue and people will start to look into things they will find where there's there's a disconnection between what decisions been made and where the trail is or where the trail isn't you know they'll be able to look at the correspondence and they'll find emails from someone that says oh you know there's something leaking somewhere or oh, there's a issue you know i think there's an issue with declining what's been done and then well where's the trail what decisions have been made People will start to get more savvy, and if you haven't documented those sorts of things correctly as a committee, you could be in a lot of in a lot of trouble, um, uh, you know, legally really for, for not doing that. But my my point is, it's time that everyone steps up, Veronica. It's times it's time that managers and owners corporations step up. All buildings will have defect issues. All buildings will have maintenance and repairs issues. It's the nature of the beast. It's about how you deal with it. And so you get the right advice, you, you know, you have to budget for it, you have to make the really tough decisions about it. And so the thing is, people should be looking at how do I make this the best scheme, so that when anyone looks at the records, they go, Oh, my God, I want to buy into this place. It's amazing. You know, that's what we want to get to that so people will come to you, Veronica, and say, What are the best buildings? And you can say, These are the buildings you should buy into because they are run really well. Their issues are dealt with, um, you know, their 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 records are, are brilliant to read through, everything aligns, they're making really sensible decisions. Um, you know, they're complying with the legislation. Um, Let's raise the bar. That's what people should be trying to do. Let's raise the bar um, to make sure that if anyone reads it, yeah, they'll say, okay, they had a cladding issue, but they fixed the cladding. They had some repair issues there. They fixed the repairs or they're in a process. They've got a plan to fix those repairs. That's what we need to promote. Nothing good will come and the secret society and trying not to um, have anything on a public on, on a record um, in terms of real danger points within a building um, it's, it's it, there are massive issues that will come um, if if you 're found out <laughs> to do that um, so i think I think we just we look to raise the bar is what I would say to those people trying to do that
0: <laughs> good' oh, I'm up for all for that all for that now you also mentioned earlier about the off the plan um, Duty disclosure and Queensland, you get a slab of information, which is might be too much. Who knows? But um, <laughs> Victoria, you get bugger all, um, and. You know, I think, I guess, what added disadvantages would you say that off-the-plan buyers experience in a general sense? Because you also use the term in in the report, and I quote, common question, questionable practices. And and I and my ears pricked, well, my eyes pricked up, whatever you say, but to when I saw that, I went, oh, i interested to know what are some of the common questionable practices that... Off the plan buyers would be unaware of and may fall into.
1: Yeah, and so I think this can happen whether it's disclosed or not, to be quite frank, Um, because disclosure is never a panacea and sometimes disclosed information just gives people comfort that everything's okay when it's really not. (laughs) And so um, I think some of the main things that I've seen over the years that are continuing to happen, um, even though I've been writing about this for a very long time, is um, levies. So developers will nearly always try and underestimate what the actual cost of running these buildings are going to be in the future. And so they'll market it. It's a marketing tool, right? So they'll market it, you know, $60, $100 per lot, per year, um, sorry, per week, um, as an inducement because people might be comparing off the planned properties. You know, they're all going up, what's theirs, what's theirs. Oh, that one, you know, the cost is the same, we're still getting a two better, but there we only pay $80 um, as opposed to over there we're paying one hundred and twenty dollars inevitably within the next in in the first two years of a life scheme that will skyrocket because what they sometimes will factor in is warranties that may be in play for that first year or two um so that you know if there's some issue a repair issue they can they can rely on the warranties and those sorts of things or they're just trying to squeeze squeeze the the budget um, to such an extent that it actually becomes unrealistic. But people don't know that unless you are experienced or you're dealing with an experienced lawyer who can say, there is no way, looking at the infrastructure in this development, that that's what you'll be paying in 12 months or, or, or two years' time. Um, And they'll often do it around the sinking fund as well, um, depending on the state where they'll just make it really marginal. Um, And so you've got this false sense of what it's actually going to cost you in reality and that will change. And so there's huge danger points in there. Um, Contracted relationships, massive issue. So um, oftentimes you may um, see where the developer might have infrastructure that is included into the scheme where they don't have to pay for the infrastructure but in... Um, return they are committing the owners corporation or the body corporate because they remember they're going to own all the lots um, for a particular period of time um, they can um, you know contract basically and so- sign up an, an owner's corporate a future owners corporation or a future body corporate to a contract for un- under very unfair terms for a quite a long period of time. Um, There are some jurisdictions that are trying to sort of, you know, deal with that more effectively with um, restrictions on time limitations um, in those contracts and those sorts of things. But inevitably it's a problem and you might then find 10 years down the track when that infrastructure might go and it has to be replaced. Well, it may not be that easy (laughs) and the cost of replacing the infrastructure might be quite high um, because of those sorts of relationships so they're things that you need to be aware of what what types of agreements have been entered into on your behalf by the developer that you may not really be aware of the intricacies of those um, types of agreements Um, same with entering in with the strata managers so strata managers as a normal custom um, won't charge or will charge a developer a very small amount for the structuring or the front end structuring of a of a um, owners corporation, which is a necessary job, you have to put levies and you have to put things in place for day one when people start moving in. And so, what we have started to see, um, which is a real welcome relief, is most jurisdictions have started to restrict. Um, how that process actually works, um, New South Wales is the most restrictive in terms of making sure that that, um, that you know, they only really usually get a gear, but there are some issues and loopholes in relation to how that works in new south Wales but um, you know, they're, they're being signed up to these contracts um, and and having to deal with managers that they have no idea. You know, it takes away the ability for a collective owners to determine who they want as their suppliers or their service providers. And so there's issues around leases, leases back to um developers, Um, we've got management rights issues in Queensland and and in some parts of New South Wales that are problematic in terms of these long-term contracts in Queensland that are just the bane of most people's existence. Um, So there's all these things that go on that are common practices that you may not be aware of. Um, So in Queensland, most of that information will be somehow, um, you know, disclosed in, in that disclosure statement. But in Victoria, you have absolutely no idea. No idea what's going on. I've seen contract. I saw um, an off-the-plan contract recently um, that people, the builder wasn't named. So you don't know who's actually building your building. Um, so that information. And so they're like, oh, you know, these are $2 million apartments. Um, you know, you don't actually know who is going to build your building. I think that's a massive concern. <laughs> And so there's all this stuff when it comes to off the plan because you can't see it and other people are making decisions that, of course, are that are going to be beneficial to them. Um, You know, so you do have to be very aware. Um, of the risks associated with buying off the plan you absolutely need to do some due diligence and you need to make sure that you've got a good lawyer to look at those agreements to make sure that that fundamental information is put in there because oftentimes even if a a builder is named there might be a clause in the contract that allows that to be um, you know changed at some time and so you know, even if you do some due diligence and find out, okay, well, that's a good builder, you know, that's, you know, they've got a good reputation, I've investigated them, that might change by the time the building starts or the development progresses. So there has to be a lot of care, I think, around um, off the plan. It's, it's a risk and it's up to people to take a risk. If they've got a lot of money and they don't care about that, well, that's fine for them. Um, but I think for the average punter, um, I think there has to be a lot of care around Um, venturing into off-the-plan sales.
0: 100%. And not only that, but you know, I guess uh, a lot of developers can afford a, a pretty powerful sort of legal team to put these agreements, these contracts together, and the individual buyer isn't normally employing someone so high powered and yes. so well resourced to actually um, to check on that. And then the ability to leverage and and potentially negotiate changes—that's it, almost. None
1: yeah I mean it depends on the market because if're if, if you 're if you're in a market where you 're really competing um, it 's a take it or leave it type of agreement right you you, you take it or you you know you 're going to miss out, and so for people that are wanting to get into the market or, or wanting to get into it you know they see they fall in love with their little apartment and they can see themselves there and you know and and I think unfortunately there 's this um, you know misconceived idea that Um, You know, they will be protected because they've either got themselves a lawyer or a conveyancer or the law itself will protect them from these harms. And it's just it's just wrong. It's a misnomer because that we see time and time again. And we've seen over the last couple of years in particular, especially in relation to the defects that if the developer or the builder goes under you are stuck with the bill that you, and you'll need to fix it. And so there's not, an, there's not that many safeguards and protection for when it comes to some of these really complex matters and so people have to be very careful.
0: Exactly right. Now, on that note, um, have you got a property dumbo for us?
1: I probably do. <laughs> And uh, and this is only because a friend of mine who knows my work very well, we've been friends for, you know, probably sort of you know, close to 30 years. She's a highly educated person. And I've been saying to them for years, do not buy off the plan unless I have a look at the contract. And so, of course, one weekend while they were driving up to the Sunshine Coast, <laughs> they see the lovely sales and marketing of a lovely apartment on the beach. And signed up, signed up, and then so she came and had lunch with me and she said to me, we've done something and I think you're, you're not going to be happy with us. And I said, please tell me you haven't bought an apartment off the plan." she said, yes. And I said, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, I said, send it to me, send it to me. And I went through it and I just said, oh, this is danger, danger points, um, you know, here, here, here. I said, you need to do whatever you can to get out of this agreement. And so luckily I found a few things that allowed them to get out. They got out of it and then I got a very big gift sent to, <laughs> sent to me and they're glad and they and she said to me, you know, you've said to us for years, for years be careful. Make sure you get the right advice. Don't just buy into the dream. You know, you've told us all the anchor points and we just couldn't help ourselves. And that was a two that was like a 2 million dollar apartment.
0: Yeah and it shows how smart intelligent successful people can do this and this is you know we keep reminding people in this podcast this, this isn't just the province of total newbies and and you know people that are really naive but just quickly what were the, what were the, the danger points can you sort of summarize those yeah, so
1: there was around the disclosure, actually, there were some missing things that were statutory required um, to be there to, that got them out. And so there was a, it was a management rights agreement that was really, the cost was very high for the work um, that would have been needed um, for, for that particular development. So I, and it was quite clear that the increase in the cost was going to skyrocket the levies. Um So that was a real issue. The builder wasn't named um in the contract so i said that's a huge danger if you don't know who's actually building your product any product um you know big concerns big concerns around that um and i also just generally think given the nature of the issues that we're seeing around building defects and that there hasn't been any real apart from probably new south wales but there hasn't been any real efforts in in the other states to take real clear action around these issues, around defects. I think it's just overall, uh, there's dangers there um, in terms of, um, you know, the, the quality of people on building sites, all the issues that have been raised in terms of why we've got this crisis around building defects. And so I just said, you just don't know. It's, you're spending a lot of money and you could then end up spending that amount or more dealing with the ramifications of what's going to happen. The developer was a small developer. I looked into them, had done a few little small jobs around the place, nothing as big as this. Um, didn't Couldn't get a lot of information about how the company worked and was structured. Um, so they were some issues for me. Um, you know, developer, a bit unknown. Builder wasn't named um you know the area that it was you know being right on the beach um you know I was concerned about well you know what what have they got in place in relation to where that's going to be located the the management right contract that had been put in place was just you know woeful um and missing a lot of things that were going to cost them a lot of money so there are a number of things there um that you know going through the budget I thought there were some things that might be missing um And so I think whenever you start to get those sorts of danger points, you sort of really have to think carefully about um, what you're getting yourself into.
0: Yeah, bullet dodged by the sounds of it. Nicole, it's been such an interesting chat. I really appreciate your time. And um, I'm going to sort of go through some of your other papers and see what else we can get you back to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure of course of course i've got um a couple of projects on the go um at the moment so i've got one um in relation to fire safety in buildings um which hopefully we'll get out next year and just finished um a big project on um, strata insurance um so that's sort of been quite some fascinating insights um in relation to that project as well but always happy to come on and have a chat
0: fantastic thank you so much Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a Dumbo.